Welcome, I'm Paul Bishop, and this is another edition of Six-Gun Justice Conversations. These are occasional bonus downloads where my co-host Richard Prosh or I get to hang out in the virtual Six-Gun Justice podcast saloon and spend some time chewing the jerky with friends who also love the Western genre. With me for this edition is a compadre I go way back with to a time when I was a wet-behind-the-ears rookie cop in L.A., and he was only a few years past being knee-high to a grasshopper, Peter Ackerman. Great to talk to you, man. We've come a long way since we used to hang out at the Scene of the Crime bookstore in Sherman Oaks, California. We sure have, and what a great bookstore that was. And I have to say, it changed my life as a reader. I was in seventh grade and doing poorly because my nose was always in a comic book. And so my parents did that fabulous, famous thing, and they took my comic books away. I was starved to be entertained in some way. And so I started pulling books off of my dad's bookshelf. And my mother said, you know, there's this bookstore down on Ventura Boulevard in Sherman Oaks called Scene of the Crime. Why don't we go there? And it became my hangout place for so long. Yeah, it was my hangout too. I used to be there all the time. And I remember crossing paths with you there. We've been sort of in touch over the years, and it's been really cool. And I know you've recently moved back to California, so it's good to have you back at this side of the country. Now, those comic books that your mom and dad took away, any Western comic books in the mix, or were they superhero stuff? Pretty much I was doing uh, Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. Those were kind of my genres in the comic book days. Right now, I know that you and I are both collectors of vintage paperback tie-ins to Western movies and Western television shows. Yes, we are. I collect them, and I've, I've just always loved them. As I was looking at my collection, I have that guilt that many of us readers and collectors do is I have collected much more than I have read. But what I've collected is just really fun. If it was a Western series or if it was a film and I liked it, I purchased the book. So I've got a couple different movie tie-in copies of uh, Cahill U.S. Marshall by Joe Miller. Oh, the guy that did the Man With No Name tie-ins. Right. And I don't have any of those yet. They're on my look list. They're hard to come by these days. I'm sure you could pay for them through A Books or something, but I prefer to find stuff like this in the wild. I also like to dive into the beginnings of the early 1950 TV shows was the first time the networks would also dabble in letting the licensing go for a TV tie-in books. So there were TV tie-ins to Wagon Train and Wanted Dead or Alive, but you would never know it to look at the covers. Uh -huh. Because they didn't use photos uh, from the shows like they do these days. Right. It was just yeah, really bad artwork. <laughs> okay, I didn't know that, yeah. It was like they were just testing the waters. It was like they didn't know if being it from a television show, whether it would sell. But seeing as it was a Western, they knew it would sell. So they put on some Western art that slightly looked like Steve McQueen. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> there you go. At a distance in the right light. But the interesting thing for me with these is how many of them there are. They have to make money for somebody, aside from the author who usually gets a work-for-hire stipend for doing them. And I don't know how they make money or made money for someone uh, back in the day when the original tie-ins were in. What I loved about tie-ins in general, and the Western ones are included, especially if it was a film, back in the day, the books used to be released at least one week, usually two weeks before the film came out. So if yes. you were really jonesing for that movie, that's where they would make some money. I remember one that I have in my collection that I did love is both a book and a film is The Long Riders by Stephen Philip Smith, which is based on the screenplay. Good book, good film. I'd read that two weeks before the film came out, and then I'd be ready to see the movie, see the book all over again. You know, it was great. 
The problem with the TV show tie-ins is the timing of those, they wanted them to come out at the same time that the show premiered in order to make the biggest buck possible of the tie-in. But the authors were not given the final scripts. They were given either the concept or first draft of the first script. And so they would write from that. And oftentimes the show would change dramatically in concept before it actually hit the air. So the books sometimes didn't have anything in common, really, with the shows. And sometimes even the character names had changed. I've heard that about, now I'm not going to early TV in the way I count early TV, but Alias, Smith & Jones, which might have been my first Western that I regularly watched on television, that had some uh, tie-in novels. I have one of them, The Outlaw Trail by Brian Fox, which uh, I have not read yet. I've heard from some who've read these that the characters of Smith and Jones in the book do not appear like fellas in the, in the TV program. So it could have been for the same purpose. The same thing happened with Wild Wild West. The very first tie-in was by Richard Wormser. And he did a pretty fair job of capturing the show from just a early script that he had to work with. It was okay. But then many years after the show, they did three more Wild Wild West tie-ins. Unfortunately, that author had never, ever watched a single episode of the show. And I would have loved those to have been really cool, right-on-the-money tie-ins and to have run for a long period. But they're just really disappointing. I'm going to have to experiment with that because the oldest tie-in I've got is a show, Bat Masterson. It's uh, written by Richard O'Connor. And I've only started watching Bat Masterson on Prime. I'm enjoying it, so I might as well read this book and see if it lines up or not. We're really in a sweet spot for being able to go back and re-watch a lot of these shows or even watch them for the first time with all of the subscription channels or even the Western channels they sometimes have with your cable. I've really caught up with a lot of episodes of Wanted Dead or Alive, Trackdown, which was the show Wanted Dead or Alive was a spinoff from, and the writing in those half-hour early shows was just spot on. There were some real moral dilemmas that they worked with. I, too, only started watching Wanted Dead or Alive. And I was amazed because I had never seen the show before. And I had forgotten that in the movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Wanted Dead or Alive, what the TV show Bounty Law was based on. And it was clear when I watched my first episode of Wanted Dead or Alive, uh, what Quentin Tarantino did, you know, lifting that whole spirit to the fictional Bounty Law show. I absolutely loved what Tarantino did in that movie with the recreation of the Lancer TV pilot. It was just phenomenal how spot on it was if you go back and watch the actual pilot. I did, and I only recently watched the pilot on YouTube, and I see that, and it just makes it just even more enjoyable to go back and watch Tarantino's film. I'm guilty, as you might remember, I think I posted this online. There's so much weaving of fiction and reality in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought Lancer was a fictional show. Oh, like, really? I think it was on social media. I saw you sharing the Lancer paperback, and I realized, oh, it was a show. Even my wife said, yeah, don't you remember Lancer? I was out of the loop on that one. I'm watching it now on YouTube. Now, you grew up basically a Hollywood kid because your mom was an actress. Was your dad involved in the business too? Oh, yes. My dad was a TV executive producer. His name was Harry Ackerman, and he was the executive producer of shows like Bewitched and Gidget and The Flying Nun and Dennis the Menace and all those sort of shows. And my mother was an actress who worked on Father Knows Best and The Odd Couple. Her name is Eleanor Donahue. And I got to go to the sets with them all the time. One of my favorite set visits was at Paramount. 
while my mom was doing The Odd Couple and then a series that didn't last long. And while my dad was under contract at Paramount, I would go to work with one of them, just kind of roamed a lot. And I became a tour guide for any friends that I brought. <laughs> one of my favorite places to go at the time, and I'm guessing that Paramount has gotten rid of this whole set, but they had a Western Street and it looked exactly like you think a Western Street look. And you have to imagine when you're on a studio lot and they're not filming, the paint is chipping and everything is kind of falling apart. But they had the saloon and the saloon had the swinging doors on it. You can go through the swinging doors and inside of the saloon with no technical lights or anything set up. It was pretty dark and really dusty. And in that was like this huge surprise that I always used to love surprising people with when I would take them. And it has nothing to do with the West, but inside the saloon was the giant telephone prop. Now, if you've seen any show like Land of the Giants or I Dream of Genie or Bewitched and somebody shrinks... There's always this telephone. They, sh they shrink and there's this giant telephone that's the same size as they are. And that prop was kept or lost and forgotten about sitting in the saloon. Oh, that's funny. It's a real anachronistic feel. You walk in and there's this giant telephone. Giant you feel like telephone. you've actually been sucked into a show and been shrunk down, right? Exactly. I'll add one more thing about Paramount. And again, this is probably around the time when Partridge Family was being done. So we're talking 70s. Their property department had a separate shop called the Gun Shop. And you could go in there and it was almost like a museum. All kinds of guns, all kinds of weapons. You weren't supposed to touch them except one, which was made of foam, but it looked like an actual gun. And you could whack your friend with it like they would in the movies. Just a great opportunity to kind of play Hollywood the way you would see it on the screen. That was back in the day when Hollywood used to think that you could put silencers on revolvers and all that other good stuff that gets picked apart today. <laughs> right, exactly. I remember vividly the first time I wrote a script for television and they invited me down to the set on the first day of shooting. I get down there and of course they have created the sets they needed from the script and I am walking through these full-size sets that a week earlier had been nothing more than an image in my brain. And it was really odd to see that translated into real life. A very, very weird feeling. Oh, I bet. Now, do you watch any of the current Western shows like The Sun or Yellowstone? Yellowstone, yes. I love Yellowstone. I'm aware of The Sun, but I have not seen it. I prefer The Sun to Yellowstone. Yellowstone, I think, gets a bit too close to the knuckle with, with some of their themes. It gets a bit too soap opery for me. But The Sun was a really great two-season miniseries, and I think you'd really enjoy it. I'll check it out. And that's kind of the problem with anything in Hollywood, and I think Yellowstone falls into it is that they invariably move away from what works. Like Yellowstone was really strong in the beginning. And then one of the characters, the daughter of Kevin Costner, who's just this great character, and she was a, a raging alcoholic that added to her character. But then she became sober for most of a season and the dynamic changed and she wasn't as interesting a character. And a little spoiler alert here, but near the end of the second season, she goes back to becoming an alcoholic. And I think the producers decided to write that back in so they can bring back the dynamic. Hopefully they're not closing the barn door after the horses have galloped away. Exactly. Hey, listen, man, I appreciate you hanging out with me here at the virtual Six Gun Justice Saloon. Hopefully in the future we can do this again. All right. I look forward to it anytime. Thanks for hanging out, Peter. Rich and I appreciate your support of our Six Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. For our listeners, be sure to check out our website, www.sixgunjustice.com. 
for links to podcast episodes, speed listens, and prior conversations, along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, keep your hat brim pulled down, your six-gun tied down, and your branding irons hot. Adios. We're out of here. Let's ride. Let's ride.